This is a conversation between myself, Kira Green, and Jude Crilly. The recording took place at the Rijks Academy in Amsterdam on the 18th of March 2019. As a part of Whitstable Biennale 2018, Jude Crilly developed her work Prose Prout, a work composed of a dance performance by Noha Ramadan and Matthew Day, and a sculpture developed with artist Morgan Cotuis. These distinct elements of the performance were situated across the Whitstable Harbour, with the performance on the West Quay and the sculpture as a backdrop on the East Quay. As well as our conversation, this podcast includes the soundtrack developed for Prose Prout that was experienced as quadraphonic sound and an integral component of the performance. Rest, inaction, passive, interval. Stop the body and still the mind and flop forwards so your legs and your feet rest on top of the sea.
This is a sensual call for the swarm to witness its destruction. Vertigo, slapping the tarmac, the birds, the birds. You kill what you love, hair and violence. My nature. Stop the body and still the mind, and flop forwards so your legs and your feet rest on top of the sea. Dreaming of soft life. Sleep after toil. Port after stormy seas. Ease after war. Death after life does greatly please. So the performance, or my performance, Prose Brute, uh, took place on a very large outdoor space on the Whitstable Harbour. Yeah, the West Key compound. West Key compound, um, which was a 70 metre long flat fenced area in itself. But if you're standing on that space, it has multiple sight lines. Um, at one side, you see a factory, which is a working factory, produces aggregate, um, which seemed to be a direct backdrop to the to the scene. Um, and you also have the harbour buildings um, on the other side. And of course, you have the sea on the other side of that. And um, what I liked about this spot was that you have this um, 360, um, almost like a surround view. Um, and that's for everyone. It's for 
audience and it's for performers. Um, it's for me as a maker as well. Like I, I had that in my imaginary space, developing this piece for a really long time. And it was almost like a filmic way of, of seeing this sort of bird's eye view, um, you know, using the maps of, of, and the satellite maps of the, the harbour and also being there in the site visit as well, walking through the, these um, areas and having these, these uh, sight lines. But within all this space and expanse, of course, I had to um, delineate the performance area, like where was it going to be? What were we all going to be looking at? Um, and I had to set a clear delineation for the choreography itself. I knew I wanted to work with a choreography and with performers. Um, and I also wanted to work with uh, other characters. Um, I saw the sea as a character and I saw the birds as a character and um, with characteristics um, and behaviours of their own which, I mean, these, the sea and birds, for example, are characters which I can't give a script to, I can't control. And that's, you know, you know what, what um, attributes do they have? You know, sound, um, of course, they're both very loud and, yeah, the, just their patterns and movements and... Um, yeah, I, I thought a lot about behaviour uh, uh, in developing the choreography as well. We've just um, talked a little about the the West Key compound as a as an environment in its own right, and yeah, with the free with this the potential of a three sixty view and um, different orientations that you considered in the development of the work and. That makes me think about the way that you developed a score within that and using the maps of the location, you then developed a kind of map or a score of your own that you mapped onto that. And I wonder what what you yeah, how you used that as a as a space for the for a fiction to develop through the performance. Um, the choreography was one aspect of the performance, which um, added to a broader visual fiction, um, which I was trying to compose. Um, the location had many viewpoints, um, which enabled multiple configurations of what I was thinking of as frames, or like what if you're looking in a particular um, direction, what's within that frame. And I was really trying to anticipate if I was an audience member, what, what, what is the composition or the artistic composition and what's just an environmental, uh, accidental, um, character or, or element. Um, and I really liked that. I really liked the the role of, of the audience or, the, or an audience member, like what they would imagine um, sort of being in such a specific environment. It's not an institutional space. 
you don't have the four walls. Um, literally, all the walls have been taken away. Um, and it's actually a very unstable stage in a way. It's a very precarious stage. Um, and you can put so many meanings onto this. There's so many temporalities as well with you know everything that's happening around you and just to sort of think about the theme of um concentration like how how we identify the event somehow or the 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 composed uh event um you know with it within performative practice uh, within uh, writing, uh, composition, scoring, choreography, yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I, I do work in a really multidisciplinary way. I'm not, I'm not just making choreography, I'm not just writing. And this performance was really, you know, there was, there was a soundtrack. So there was this, a soundtrack which was recorded in advance? The soundtrack was, yeah, in a way it was framing the whole piece. The piece was about 40 minutes and the, I guess the the main um, part of the soundtrack was at the beginning of the performance. The performers themselves were was, was standing very still or they were in a resting position. Um, and they begin very slowly by walking backwards towards the audience across this um, really long tarmac area and meanwhile the soundtrack is starting um, and yeah it was it was quite a, a collaged uh, approach to to sound and language and again I liked that in relation to the environment that things were coming in and out like we had, we had the day before um taken environmental sound ambient sound and and put it into the soundtrack like sort of really directly from where we were um the birds and the the sea and um together with some of these i guess literary fragments and um sort of fragments that i had written myself as well and it was all just coming together as a yeah, again, like a, a way of experiencing the space without one particular way of, you know, one particular viewpoint somehow. Can you say a little bit about those references um, that you mentioned, the literary references? I would say the first reference maybe is in the title itself, which... Um, uh, the title being Prose Brute, um, which is actually the real title of a, a medieval chronicle, or it's a, an account of the founding of the British Isles. Um, and the word chronicle actually um, signifies uh, a factual, something that's factual um, and of importance, uh, like historical importance. Um, and this, but the interesting thing about this chronicle or manuscript was that it went through endless processes of, of writings and revisions, 
um, and rewritings, printings, and um, the text even begins with a, a myth, which um, is just so fantastical it, it can't be in any way true. And I think there's just very little fact in this uh, document. I was just really interested in the way, just with this particular text and how it informed my own title, um, I was just really interested in the way history is written, um, especially when you think of, of this way of rewriting and editing and, and translation and, you know, and these texts that we consider so um, foundational, you know. Um, and then an extension of that is, you know, the act of writing a narrative in your own narrative, in your own history, and I think within this work, um, I was trying to think of um, a personal cartography or writing through pathways. And like the, the performers are, are physically making pathways. So this idea of cartography references the, this mapping of language. Um, and storytelling but it's also directly referencing the the like the Thames estuary which is the actual was the actual waterway behind the performance or like this the body of water behind um, which as a waterway it embodies many narratives in itself and the the part the, uh, there was a in the soundtrack, a, a fragment of poetry from um, this poem written for Elizabeth I by Edmund Spencer, called The Fairy Queen. And um, it's, the fragment is, sleep after toil, port after stormy seas, ease after war, death after life does greatly please. And that small piece of text was, I don't know, I, quite informative for the the way I thought about the choreography and the movement itself, which I was really trying to bring in these these prolonged resting positions and um, sort of the body somehow crumpling down and just sitting there for um, quite a period of time. And I think, again, going against the expectation of, of performance, of like that there needs to always be something happening and connecting to the next thing. And I, I liked this, the, this um, contrast with what the poem's about. With, it's about progress and it's about warfare and violence and but in this very glorified way that uh, um, this rest is deserved you know um, but it comes out of violence and it comes out of um, empire and colonialism and world trade
this waterway, the Thames Estuary, feels very different now. You know, there's ships and oil rigs, and but I think it, it's it's a place, or it's it was a a way in and out of London that not just for sort of an imperial uh, project, but also for many other characters in a way, many other, many other narratives, traders and smugglers and pirates and, um, all, you know, so many. Um, Does, because there's um, the voice that the audience hears speak, that fragment within the initial soundtrack is a, it's a synthetic voice, but it's your voice. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder that um, making hybrid of of the speaker, um, and in some way, I suppose that's distorting or like disengaging their identity, in to some degree. Does that speak to the that history and to speak that history now? Did it feel necessary to put it through a process of um, or a sort of mutation of identity in some way? Well, maybe I'm reading that wrong, but it'd be interesting to hear what you yeah. your decisions were. With that. When I was thinking about how to make a fiction and I spent (laughs) quite a lot of time thinking about the birds that I knew would be there and I knew lived there and I hoped would be part of the the performance Um, I was thinking a lot about what I perceived to be mechanical behaviors. Um, and I, it's maybe something to do with our human perspective, especially looking at birds or thinking about birds, like that they almost have automatic responses, that they have a kind of unnaturalness to them. I don't know if, you know, this 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 very different way of using their senses. Um, and the more I researched bird behaviors and understood more and more about them, the more I realized they were much closer to us than we thought in terms of their, um, their, the way they, their, you know, their language, the the nuance of their language, the the sensitivities to each other, their spatial awareness of each, the way they use their eyes. Um, that I think I was, I think with the voice, I was really trying to explore a kind of this in between space of this unnatural, natural um, combination. That I couldn't quite work out. Would you say it's written in part from the perspective of the birds? Or at times, maybe? Yeah, I mean, I think I think especially their point of view on things. I think looking down, like I, I thought, I mean, a, a counterpoint to the 
let's say, human choreography, which was very, like, you know, grid-based. Um, uh, they had very different, a very different choreography, which was, um, Im- you know, improvised, let's say. It wasn't, it wasn't scripted. Um, and they're definitely not following my um, directions. Um, they don't even know who I am. Like, and they, I, I liked this idea of their, they, you know, they're looping above us. They, they, they're going uh, around and over, and they're they're working on a very different axis to to our horizontal plane let's say and I think that the idea of the the ground and the tarmac and this very solid ground that that we were all standing on and this sort of horizontal perspective it's it's it is different to the bird's perspective and I mean so I did like this idea of axes like the vertical the horizontal the viewpoints um and I mean, another element of the performance was a, a sculpture that um, I made in Amsterdam with my friend Morgan, who's an artist called Morgan Courtois, who's a French um, resident at the Rijksakademie. And we made a sculpture and drove over to Whitstable. And for us, it was really like a, almost like a offering or a, a monumental offering to the birds. Um, it was, in a way, just a gestural thing, a way to kind of create some sort of interface between us, uh, the sort of human players, and, and them as inhabitants of the harbour, um, who, who hopefully would be sort of part of things. But, the, I mean... It was uh, like a four, five meter tall sculpture with a sort of a, a dish um, uh, on top that we had food, and we just hoped that they would they would visit this um, uh, offering. Um, yeah, and so for the anyone who wasn't there, so that was on the east key, which is adjacent to the west key but separated by a body of water yeah it was about 40 meters uh across um so in a way that was just i mean for everyone in the audience that was really just an image like it wasn't something that could be approached or you know like a a sculpture normally could be um people couldn't walk around it they couldn't see uh, the texture or you know it, so it really just became part of the the image making which I quite liked and it was it was a really big sculpture like a really big volume um, and um, I liked a lot the idea of uh, scale in this and like in this um, environment with these viewpoints that you had such a big structure um but it it wasn't experienced in that way it became a, a small part of the background somehow it also very much was a, a character or in its own right and and um 
there was this tension as to what his function was. And I think um, we've talked before about this, this, there being a deliberate kind of organisation of space within the work. So this tension of waiting or attending to, and in those moments, there was the proposition to consider the function of this sculpture, the role of the seagulls, mm-hmm. these contingent things. Like at one point, there was a Spitfire plane <laughs> yeah. overhead. Um, yeah, and perhaps um, there's perhaps is yeah we could talk a bit about the the performance itself. So the dance, there were two dance artists, mm-hmm. and. Um, you'd worked with them developing a choreography in advance and then they inhabited this environment and this sort of durational space. So the two performers are um, trained dancers and it was Noah Ramadan and Matthew Day and they're part of a collective based in Amsterdam called Jacuzzi. So something that really informed the choreography was um, scripts and alphabets and the act of composing signs, whether visual, linguistic, musical, or so on. Um, And the choreographic process began with uh, Noah and Matthew and I making a grid um of the of this big tarmac space to try and divide it into two zones for each to inhabit um and within the grid creating letter forms which the performers would follow the contours of um so that was the very general beginning idea um for how to sort of delineate this this performance space um, and we started with the letters of prose brute itself um, but the choreography expanded to include other letter forms um, in the end yeah one of the performers Noah uh, was and is learning Arabic and as part of the process we looked at the Arabic alphabet or what's actually called the Arabic abjad. And abjad is a type of writing system where each symbol or glyph stands for a consonant, leaving the reader to supply appropriate vowels so that it doesn't contain vowels as an alphabet. Um, and this this alphabet used to just contain our consonants, which is known as the pure form, um, but now has a method for indicating vowel sounds, which is known as the impure form. Um, So that's the contemporary Arabic alphabet. But I I did really like this, like, pure and impure form, and it's almost like positive and negatives, and um, what's um, improvised somehow, or the vowels are are just joiners um, within this. And another really nice thing about Arabic um, is the fact that both printed and written Arabic are cursive. Um, so with most of the letters within a word directly connected to the adjacent letters, and I think choreographically this indicates 
a flow or a continuous rhythmic connection. And I think we were thinking in terms of a grid, but then what really happened as the choreography progressed through this letter making or letter forming was really nice intersections and that they crossed into each other's mm, zone, let's say. And I think together with the sort of building pace and um, sort of their natural rhythms, um, the, I, th I, I felt that the, the sense of the grid uh, broke down a bit, which was nice, I think, in terms of narrative somehow that it wasn't I, and I think also because the audience is is at one end of this there's a there's a sort of foreshortening of of this grid you know it's like receding um so you don't get this sort of oppressive sense of a grid the movement picked up um speed yeah like you say towards the the sort of second part of the performance towards mm -hmm. the end and what was really fascinating about that was then this dimension of um, exertion or um, the physicality of the dancer's body became also became more heightened as they increased speed and the performers were miked. So actually there was this dimension for us, for the audience, to be very proximate to their bodies. Yeah. But actually, like you say, we were at quite a distance spatially. Yeah, I think for me that really connected in well with this idea of scale. And like if you th think about this proximity in terms of scale somehow, that... I think what I liked about the breath, because it, it was the breath that, that came through from their mics and the sort of um, the breath getting heavier, the breath getting more agitated um, as their pace increased. Um, and they also actually vocalized their sort of steps, would you call it? Of the, the score. The, the score, the yeah. Mm. They they were vocalizing that as they were they were going from let's say letter to letter, and that becomes harder to do the more like out of breath you are. Also, these prolonged resting points where they would sort of come down to the ground and hold a position or a resting position for for quite a long time, um, and that's of course a chance for the breath to to recover. Um, and they would be doing that together. I I did like that when they came down to rest, they would do it together and recover their breath together. 
Um, it was like a restorative moment for for both of them, um, which I think is just a really important image. Can you say a bit about the the physicality that you wanted there? them to express in with the movement or what the physicality expressed to you and perhaps how that had been discussed with them before mm-hmm. beforehand um one important thing for all of us was thinking about um sp- like speeds um and how the body can can go through almost yeah like accelerations slow motions like different chronologies that um yeah either can be experienced together in synchronicity or or separately and there were moments that one of them would be going very slowly almost in a slow motion way and the other would be very quick and agitated um and of course that you know as as that happens like their their breath is regulated through what they're doing um which is then reflected in the soundtrack which is very close for the audience um it was almost the points between these extreme slowed down um, movements and the very quick ones that these transitional moments physical moments were the ones that interested me the most and it's it's sort of like uh, like rolling uh, into a sort of ready position let's say or rolling into a, a rest position and I think that we talked about how that could be, almost, almost, I don't know, dramatized is the right, I mean, sometimes it felt really like a bit kabuki-esque, like a, a bit exaggerated, a bit like, um, yeah, extended somehow, pronounced, Um but I think it, it is often those in-between moments that are kind of, uh, happens very quickly, these transitions to different states. Um, and I like that in just a psychological way too, like how do you go from one state to the other? I think also because the, um, those were moments where, the, as a viewer, you really empathised with, the 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 physicality against the hard tarmac surface, yeah, and that they, yeah, rolling on a surface like that, um, there's a kind of kinesthetic <laughs> thing that happens in watching that. So we first uh, visited Whitstable six months prior to the performance in June and so you had this um the 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 memory of the site in a different season 
and in very different conditions as a kind of blueprint to work with and that inevitably meant that part of that working process I imagine was that chance and control became um, very active material that you were working with both in in the imagination but also anticipating the sort of multiplicity of that taking taking its course <laughs> in the mm-hmm. live event yeah um and I, yeah it'd be interesting to hear how you how you how you deal with that or how you dealt with that yeah so the yeah most of the material was developed uh away from uh the site and usually i do work in a more site-specific way like really in situ like like in the environment and and I love working that way. But it was just um, practically that wasn't possible, you know, partly because it's a working harbour and permissions and all, all these things, and partly because I don't live uh, in the UK um, or I'm based in Amsterdam. So um, it actually opened a really sort of different way of working for me I think the elements like the sculpture um, the writing uh, the choreography like were all developed in Amsterdam Uh, it almost felt like separate parts that were made um, individually and um, I quite you know, and then sort of imported mm. <laughs> into the space and sort of, um, and we we together sort of like talked a lot about positioning and where each sort of action and... and um, it makes me think as you say that how, it, how exciting it was that when, when I was there waiting for you to arrive yeah. and things came in stages <laughs> yeah. the sculpture came before like, you came. Exactly. <laughs> um, came to town. Yeah, and... I don't know, I I guess all of this and this sort of process makes it much more or makes the composition or the compositional uh, side of things much more uh, emphasized, like for me and like how how a story is uh, is fabricated, you know, how a composition is made, um, how a scene is set how an environment is activated, you know? And I think, like, yeah, being um, or not having access to the space all the time or just having one site visit, like, it does allow your imagination to work in a different way. And um, I think when it finally got to the biennial and we were there, um, I think I realized, you know, as part of the whole process, that I had left a lot of room for, for uh, accident or or chance. Um, I left a lot of space for that to happen, and I think that was part of the the construction of the whole piece, because there were things that I couldn't possibly control. Um, uh, like you know the weather, uh, uh, which was really on the day itself was really on the verge of uh, change. You know, there it was, it was it was rain on the forecast, and like it was really like you know big grey clouds above 
directly above us. Um, and that would have changed everything. Um, you know, and of course, like, also what we've talked about, the birds and the bird behavior, like, of course, you can research all you want, um, but they're not necessarily going to act the way you want to at exactly the moment that you want to. And we did some interesting things in the soundtrack, like um, sort of ways to so-called activate the birds um, with uh, sort of techniques, uh, which, you know, in part worked somehow. Like we, we actually had a, um, a pitched down seagull uh, swarm and it, it made the birds actually react to to that so there were you know there were manipulations um you could play with but there were just many things that were just beyond your control but I think I like that like in all my work and in all my like performance and uh sculptural work and just to leave space for that and for these like accidents and and chance um occurrences I think that's a really exciting space um and to not be exactly sure about something the way something's going to look the way something's going to affect someone um and just that that space of uncertainty both for me and for the the viewers is really just important in my in just my way of thinking and working and way of thinking about building narratives and compositions and decompositions and thinking about narrative in a really material way I think it's yeah. Do you, did you, um, just picking up on what you said there about um, thinking through the audience position, do you in a way consider that you are seeing it for the first time on a level with the audience? Yeah, I think on the day I was. And I think, um, I just remember being quite like, amazed um at all these elements at play um of course they're not always in play with each other directly and you know there are things happening simultaneously but they don't necessarily merge um and yeah I remember being quite like on the same level as the audience I didn't have this strong feeling like I kind of orchestrated this whole thing uh and it was it was big I think in just terms of scale and um the sort of the visual aspect um and the way the sound was was playing with with scales you know like bringing the breath close and I don't know playing playing tricks a bit with the eye and the ear I think that was for me, nice, like thinking about the scale and bringing things closer and pushing things further away. Um, so, yeah, I mean, of course, there's a lot of manipulation in that, using certain techniques to to play with those things. But on, like, in many ways, I did feel part of the audience because there were just things that happened that that were really like exciting and and strange and and magical somehow, like just things doing their own thing you know and the you know the dancers d doing the, their own or like their own interpretation as well and just seeing that in its full force was really brilliant yeah 
See you. 